you will turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 78. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare unto them their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast. Book of Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 35, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which were kept secret from the foundation of the world. And for a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about the next generation. The Lord bless you, you may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here. It's always good to be home. There's just no place like home. You can travel a lot of places and uh, see a lot of sights, but you're always ready to come home. There's no place like God's house and God's family. And it is a great honor today to be part of this wonderful body called the family of God. I uh, have done a little reminiscing over the last couple of days. I am not sure what took me this path. I think I probably become a little aware of it after thinking about uh, this particular time of the year and Christmas and there are some other things that happened in our lives around this time of the year that has really made me think about what I want to share with you tonight. Today is the day we buried my dad, I believe 12 years ago. And I've thought about him a lot lately. What's made me think about him was a little boy around my house that's always looking for me. He comes through the front door quite often hollering, Papa. And when I don't answer, he starts trying to find me. A few weeks ago, he come through the front door hollering, Papa, and I was in my office working on my computer Usually I'm sitting in the chair in my office so he can see me when he comes in the door. 
that day I was sitting at my desktop, and so he couldn't see me because I was around the corner. So he hollered, Papa, and I didn't say anything. I just kind of wanted to see what his reaction would be. And so after hollering, Papa, and I didn't answer, I, I, I heard him go in the kitchen, and I heard him in the living room, and then I heard his little feet go up the stairs, and he was still calling Papa, and I could hear him walk into all the rooms, and finally I hear him coming back down the stairs, and he walks into my office and says, What are you hiding for, Papa? And I said, Well, I'm not hiding, Riley. I'm just working at my computer. Every time we have that conversation, there have been numerous of those over the last four or five months. Every time that conversation happens, I hear a voice whisper in my ear, do you understand, son, just what I feel like when you show up at my house and you act like you enjoy being around me and you start looking for me and you seek me diligently and you're, you're looking and trying to find me? I, I don't hide from you. I'm always there. But the thrill that you feel that excitement you feel when he starts looking for you is the same excitement I feel when you start looking for me and you act like and you respond to my presence. My mom and dad were not raised in a Christian home. They were not raised in an environment where they were taken to church. They were not raised by parents who taught them that church was an important part of their life. They didn't come from a home that went to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. They, they didn't have that influence in their life. But they had an encounter with God in the middle 40s that changed their life. And as a result of their lives being changed, my memories of life are always being at church on Sunday morning and always being at church on Sunday night and always being at church on Wednesday night and always being at church every night of the week when we had revival. Dad doesn't have the memories I have, but my grandchildren won't have the memories I have either unless I spend time and energy Helping them to understand what God is really all about. I studied this psalm today as it, it came to my mind a couple of days ago. And, and as I begin to study this psalm carefully today, I, I noticed some things about it that I hadn't paid attention to before. It was written shortly after the death of David. It is written during the reign of Solomon. And as a result of the prophet Asaph writing this psalm, he writes to us and tells us some things about life that can happen if people don't take time to rehearse events. It's imperative tonight that if we expect the next generation to know what God is really all about, we have to introduce them to Him. 
It will not happen by them finding him. It will happen because the adults decided to expose their children to a real move of God. If that generation doesn't, and this is speaking of David and Solomon, this whole psalm is about the life of David and the life of Solomon, and a prophet looking at both lives and recognizing that there is a possibility that generations may miss what God has because somebody doesn't take time to share with them and show them what God is really all about. If we expect people to discover it by accident, it might take 1,900 years. From the first Pentecost to the second one, there were 1,900 years involved. 1,800 if you take out that first 100 years of their existence. But I'm talking about from discovery to discovery. From an upper room to a little place on Azusa Street in California where people got hungry enough to find out is there more to God than what we have. And it would be a crying shame that the next generation has to start looking because somebody failed to show them what a move of God really was all about. This psalm must be extremely important because Jesus quotes from it in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus has began to give some parables and he talks about a sower that went out to sow and he sowed seed and someone came along and sowed tares among the wheat that was sown. And so the, the servant comes to tell the master, there are tares among the wheat, what will we do? And he says, we'll have to let it both of them grow, and when the harvest comes, we'll have to separate the tare from the wheat. He speaks of a mustard seed that a, a man sowed in the field, and, and, and the seed grew, and it's the smallest of herbs, but it can become a great tree that, that the birds can lodge in. And he gives another parable that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven when, when a woman took and hid in the measure of meal till the whole was leavened. And, and the effect of one generation on another, we have the power to influence and change lives today. But you and I, as God's children, will have to be involved in that movement for it to really t take place. If I want my grandchildren to know what Pentecost is about, I am are we going to have to show them and demonstrate to them what it's really all about? Some of my earliest memories of church is an altar and a dad taking us kids to an altar to pray. That voice booming as he prayed at an altar. Dad had this incredible ability to pray people through the Holy Ghost. There are some very Notable people that have been in our movement that my dad was at the altar the night they prayed through the Holy Ghost. He influenced a lot of people, but yet nobody would probably know who my dad was if it wasn't for myself or Mark. But dad's life touched a lot of people. As a result, he introduced me to a relationship with God that I, 
I don't want to ever forget. I, I don't want to forget where I came from. And, and I'm uninterested in really trying to find something new. The problem with this generation is they don't like old things. Matter of fact, the latest research says if there's no glitter, you cannot hold the attention of this generation. If there's nothing that sparkles or nothing that catches their attention and, and you don't have the smoke and mirrors, then, then you can't get this generation's attention. We live in a world today that's drastically changing, but the God I serve has not changed. My world may change around me. Situations may change around me. But the God I serve tonight has not changed. And the God I serve desires today to have the same relationship with people that He's always had. He's reminded me many times over the last few months that, Son, I enjoy what you're feeling when you show up at my house and you act like your grandson is acting to you and you act like that to me and, and you just show up here and indicate you enjoy being around me. You can't control the tares and who sows them. Jesus is indicating by all these parables that are lumped together, they're not very long at all. There's just one, two, three, four parables, one right after the other, that, that there's not a lot of detail to. But one speaks of, of somebody doing something that somebody else had no control over. And Jesus said, leave it alone. Don't worry about the tares. Just keep planting the wheat. When the harvest comes, you'll still be able to reap the wheat no matter how many tares were planted there. It doesn't matter where people head or where they're going. If the real Pentecostals will stand up and be Pentecostals, we will change our world. A few weeks ago, I was driving from the north part of town home and and uh, I was doing my usual routine, usually my car silent, but that day I, I got in and I started punching the button to find one talk show. I didn't like that one, what I was hearing. I just happened to punch the next button. And, and I'm listening as a man begins to make some statements. And his statements were quite incredible as he made them. And his first statement was, I wonder... Is there any church in America today where people go and really have a relationship with God? That was his first statement. And he elaborated on it for about five minutes. Is there any place people go anymore where they have a genuine relationship with God? And then he went from that statement to, is there any church in America anymore where you go and you feel the presence of God? He went from, do they have a relationship with God? Do you really know when you get there, God has showed up and you experience and feel and know that you have been in the presence of God? And I listened for 30 minutes on the way home. For people to call in and talk to him, and nobody called in and addressed that issue. Nobody. There were at least 40 phone calls 
and the time I got on the freeway by Conroe and started down the toll road to go home. And from the time I started till I pulled in my driveway and turned that car off, nobody had called in and responded to his statement about, is there any place in America where people really have a relationship with God? And is there any place in America where people feel God when they get there? I'd like to tell Michael Savage tonight that there is a place where you can go and you can have a relationship with God and you can feel God while you're there and you can leave changed. See, my dad taught me a lot about life. My dad taught me there wasn't nothing I couldn't do if I, if I just tried. Often I would say, Dad, I don't know how to do that. And Dad would say, Son, you will never learn unless you try. Are you sure you don't know how? Have you tried yet? My dad never said, Son, if you are to listen to me, this would have never happened. My dad never said, I told you so. My dad never shook his, shook his finger in my face and said, I knew this would happen. My dad was always encouraging me to do anything I chose to do and become anything I would possibly choose to become. In eight years of age, he let me take apart my first car motor. Eight. He watched an eight-year-old walk around it that day in that garage in the summertime of 1959 looking at that motor. And, and he said, James, would you like to take it apart? And my Mom's response was, Egbert, he can't take that car apart. He's, he don't know how. My dad said, how do you know he don't know how? Well, he's too little. He said, oh, that doesn't matter. He can take it apart. Her next response was, he'll get dirty. And dad's response was, we can wash him. So dad won that day. Mom drove off and left me at dad's garage. With me and dad and a car engine. And dad patiently watched an eight-year-old that day as he worked his way around that motor, taking bolt after bolt after bolt off. And, and some I didn't know how, and he taught me how to cheat. He flattened a piece of pipe about four foot long, and he'd slide it over the end of that wrench, and he'd say, get out here on the end, son. And I'd get out on the end and push and pop that bolt loose, and then I'd go to the next one. And before that afternoon was over, that motor lay in pieces on the floor. Now, the eight-year-old couldn't put it back together, but he sure knew how to take it apart. See, I, I have a Father in heaven that whispers to every one of you on a regular basis. You know, son, how do you know you can't do that? Ha have you even tried? Why, why? Come on, son, you can do it. Come on, daughter. You can change and become anything you want to be. I want to give you some staggering research on change. Put together by the University of Tennessee Medical School. One of their textbooks that they teach doctors. And it's used to teach patients how to change their life. It's real staggering. You know what it takes to change? Change. 
three simple steps. Step number one, admit you have a problem. Step number two, decide you can fix that problem. Step number three, do it. We have made change so complicated, nobody can do it. And God's standing on the sideline saying, son, don't worry about pears. Just sow the wheat. Plant the crop and it'll show up. And whatever you plant, you're going to get back. There's a law of the harvest. Be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever. Amen. Sow it. That's how he also reaps. If you sow kindness, you get kindness back. You don't get hate in return. You sow peace, you don't get war back. You get peace back. You sow mercy, you don't get judgment back. You get mercy back. Whatever you sow, God says, I will make sure the crop, the crop grows. And it doesn't matter how many tares are sowed among it. When the crop shows up at the end, you're going to be able to determine the difference between the wheat and the tares. The next generation is simply waiting for us people that America has taught you can retire to quit retiring and start demonstrating. See, America's taught all you to check out. You get to a certain age, it's no longer your problem. You don't have to be involved in this no more. It's the younger generation's time to start showing up. No. It's not the younger generation. It's the older generation's time to show up and show people what an old-fashioned prayer meeting looks like, what an old-fashioned move of God looks like, what an old-fashioned outpouring of God's. What happens when you start doing what God taught you how to do to begin with? So we try to change this message. We... we we, we try to do all kinds of junk. We've had all kinds of programs. Today I started thinking about everything I could remember as a kid that I've seen come through the church. We, we've had all kinds of stuff show up, trying to get people to come to church. We've had candy rains, bus ministries, Christian schools, cell groups, small groups. None of those things have lasted, so that means they don't work. What works? Just an old-fashioned, when God's people just show up at his house and kind of act like they might enjoy being around and they might be connected to the God they say they show up to serve. That's all it takes. It's not complicated. It's not some difficult thing that you and I are going to have to do. It's simple. We made it too complicated. Getting the Holy Ghost is simple. It's just to repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost. It's real simple. You repent, you're baptized, I promise you the Holy Ghost will show up because God promised it that way. 
Now, we can try to analyze all the details and, and, and put all the commas in the right place and, and figure out all of what he really said. And when we do, we're just trying to avoid our own responsibilities when every one of us know what we should be doing to make it work. In their research on how to make change take place, they discovered that every human knows how to change their own life. Nobody's life is so messed up they don't know how to get out of it. Nobody's life is so messed up they can't fix it. Now, I can't fix your life. You have to fix your own. I didn't mess it up. So I can't fix whatever you've messed up. But I, it doesn't matter what you've messed up. You can fix it. it. It's real simple. It's not complicated. It's simply making a decision. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live life. This is what I'm going to become. And I start becoming what I say I am. The psalmist said, the prophet, the seer, Asaph says that, that there's going to be a generation to come that may not be acquainted with God or understand anything about Him. What he's literally saying is there is a possibility that people can grow up around my house and see my temple or my tabernacle and never ask questions about what it's really all about. You can come to this church and sit on these pews and never experience God. God's not going to force himself on you. If you don't want it, God's not going to make you take it. But I can tell you one thing. If you show God any signs of desire at all, that you just might enjoy what he has, Jesus said, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Jesus said, my Father desires to give you everything He has, and I promise you tonight He will do it. My Father taught me of the importance of faithfulness. It doesn't matter how you feel. See, faithfulness is not defined by feelings. That's our problem. My world and your world has entitled every one of us to live by feelings. So everything we do is about how we feel. No, it's not about how you feel. It's, it's just simply knowing what you need to do and doing it. Don't do it by feeling. You know, if this generation lived in Noah's day, they'd never make it. God only talked to Noah one time and 125 years later showed back up and said, get in the boat. You, you, we couldn't even exist if, if we don't have something happening or moving. Or See, the problem is we show up to find out what we can get out of it instead of showing up to give what we have to give. I was at a meeting here in town a few years ago. The choir got up to sing. The first song they sang that night. I don't know its title. I just remember some of the words. And the words kind of went something like this, the ones I remember. I didn't come to see what I could get. 
I just come to have church. And, and it went on to describe several different ways that, that statement that, that the reason I'm here tonight is not to get anything, but I just come to have church. Okay, that's the first song they sing. The next song, there's not even a pause between them. It goes from one, flows in the second one, and the next song is, I just came to get my blessing. See, that's why you come to church. Riley comes to my house to visit Papa. Riley comes to Papa's house because he thinks Papa's there. And when he walks in the door, he starts hollering for Papa. Now, Mozzie gets her feelings hurt because he doesn't holler Mozzie. But me and the little fella have a bond that I don't have with any of the other five. And, and, and there's a reason for it. The first two weeks of his life, he's in a, a NIC unit in the hospital with double pneumonia he's born with. And, and, and uh, the middle one has pneumonia. So Mozzie has the middle one at home. She can't take her to the hospital. And, and Jill's at work. Or she just had a child. And, and so Papa would go by two or three times a day and feed the little fella. And I'd hold him in my arms and feed him his bottle. I'd pray for him and talk to him a little bit. And he got to hear the sound of Papa's voice. But we, we got a bond that the others don't. God, God's so many times has reminded me, I showed up when you were sick. I, I Don't you remember me holding you and rocking you when all that junk's going on in your life and and we developed a bond. Don't you remember that bond, son? Well, why don't you show back up at my house and just act like you enjoy being there? Just kind of act like that it's it's exciting to walk in my house and be around me and, and, and like you like my presence just a little bit. See, if I want another generation... To know about my God, then I've got to show them what He looks like and how He acts. How can I show them how He looks like? Well, I'm in His image and His Spirit lives in me. So my life demonstrates to them what God looks like. And they're going to see God through me. So when they show up at my house, I don't try to be mean to them. I don't try to be ugly to them. I, I probably spoil them just a little bit, but I just keep reading that scripture. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I, I found that one in Psalm 38, that, that uh, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. And the literal translation says, let oneself be spoiled by Yahweh. Do you understand the greatest thrill God gets is when He can act like and let the world know He's really God by spoiling you. There's nothing God enjoys more than spoiling you and you walking away knowing, you know what, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. That's why, Jay, I can show up at God's house and I may have messed up. I may have failed. I may have made a mistake. When Riley comes to my front door, he doesn't come in remembering getting in trouble the day before or the day before that. 
He don't remember one thing about what he did yesterday or last week. He just shows up knowing he wants to play with Papa. You know, God, God just wants you to show up so he can play with you. How do you think we got those feelings? And God's had some conversations. How do you think those feelings came about? They evolve? No, he says, I'm, you're made like me, son. And everything you feel, I feel. Every emotion you have, I have. All those things that, that, that get involved in your life, that, that's because I, that's me. And if you enjoy this, that's exactly how I feel when you show up. And, and, and when you come through the door, you don't drag yesterday with you into my house. You just run in like there was no yesterday. And you show up in my house and you start entertaining my presence like you enjoy being around me. And when you do, I promise you, your life will be changed. Pentecost has taken some strange roads over the last 30 years. It was all connected to our view of prophecy. We were convinced we'd never get to 2011. And next year is that year that everybody's talking about that nobody admits. That's the year of the Mamayan calendar and all chaos is supposed to happen next year. And so there's a whole lot of fear going around because your world is looking at, at all this mystical stuff and, and, and fortune-telling and reading stars and, and trying to make something out of it and, it. and everybody's being affected by it. Well, the church did the same thing for about 30 years. We confuse people so much that people don't even know what they really believe anymore. Because we thought the Lord was coming. Preached it so strong and dynamic that, that he's coming. I, I was convinced I'd never live to get married. I was at youth camp in 1967 when Jerusalem, or Israel took back Jerusalem. And I left that place knowing I would. By 1974, it's over. Came and went. Went over. Just because man got focused on the wrong thing doesn't mean God changed. Get your eyes off of man and on God. See, the problem is we're listening to what man says and what man does, and God says, just follow me. You want to know what God wants in your life? Read the book of Revelations. Okay. Read the first four chapters because it tells you everything God likes in His church and everything he hates. You don't know what God's stamp of approval on the church is? Read those first four books about the seven churches, and you'll discover what God likes and what God don't like. The church has lived long enough for the church to be affected by its world, and now, 30 or 40 years after all the rest of them are dead, John writes that church, and he starts pointing out these are things God likes, and these are things God hates. To God likes faithful. And God, God is satisfied when all you have is a little strength. 
to the church of Philadelphia, thou hast a little strength. When you have a whole lot of strength, you don't need God. When you only have a little bit, you know you're God-dependent. and you. So God is just as satisfied with your little as he is with your much. See, there's some things God don't want in the church. There are things he wants in the church. We need to realize that's the history of the church and what God expects out of us. Just because they missed it doesn't mean God's not coming. And we ought to live our life with expectancy that at any moment he can come back. But when we show up at church, we show up looking for Papa. Papa, where are you? Papa, Papa, what are you doing? I, 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 I was real busy that day Riley showed up and he comes to by my chair and he said, Papa, I need you to do something. I said, okay, Riley, in a minute. And, and you know, I'm, I have an old computer, a new one. All my old stuff don't work on new stuff. So anytime I need to go back and get something old, I have to go to the old computer, pull it up, and run it through a couple of programs to get transposed over the new stuff so I can put it on my new computer. And so I'm, I'm trying to do that. And, and he stands there for a few seconds, and he said, Papa, I need you to do something. And Papa didn't respond, and Papa's trying to finish this. I said, Riley, I'll be through in just a minute, and when I'm through, I'll go do it. And finally, after about a minute and a half, two minutes at the most, he said, Papa, are you going to sit there all day? And God said, Son, I respond just like that. If you show up where I'm at, and you start inquiring of me, I, I won't allow my other activities to distract me from you. Now, at the moment you cry, you see, he said, I, I reminded you in my word that the day cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father, the Father, somebody help me out here. The Father Come on, y'all know what the word is. Say it. And the Father seeketh is the word, if you don't know it. And the Father seeketh such. Do you understand what that means? The moment you act like you're interested, he's immediately trying to find you. See, some guy wrote a book about God chasers. That's the dumbest thing that's ever been written. You don't chase God. God's not running. God's looking for you. All you've got to do is start acting like you enjoy being around Him and He's going to try to find you. He's going to run right to where you are and the moment He can find you. Y'all get a play day. Y'all are wore out tonight. That's okay. You get a play day. Not a snow day, play day. What do you think worship is? What are you doing? You're playing. You're just playing in God's presence. See, when David started bringing the, tab the, the ark back, he, he just kind of got a little out of control. And his wife looked out through there and said, 
I can't believe he's acting like somebody needs to tell him he's king. God smote her and dried up her womb, and she never had another child. So God said, David can teach you something. You need to learn how to play in my presence. You need to enjoy play. That's all God wants. See, if the next generation is going to discover who God really is, it will happen because us adults, us old people, show them how to play at God's house. We just start demonstrating what play is about. And we show them how to have a good time at the house of God. See, God's a place you're supposed to come and enjoy being here. Not a place you come with your head down, dragging in because you're terrible. Riley never, he, he, he don't remember that he got in trouble the day before. He don't even remember when he got in trouble an hour before. Unless you become how? As a little child, you cannot. Your grandkids force the parents to finally grow up and get out of all their starchiness, their preconceived ideas. Yeah, they change you a whole lot. You do things you never did with your kids. Well, I did all kinds of things with my kids, but I've done things with my grandkids I have never done with my kids. My, my, my kids never use my hair for a beauty shop. No five little girls around my house. <laughs> Ain't a whole lot to mess with. Oh, there's, you go to my house, there's this thing on the wall that just constantly flips pictures through. You stand there long enough, you're going to see it. Because Grandma got a camera and took a picture of it because she had never seen her husband act like that or allow that happen. And I think about those pictures, and every time I look at one of them, God whispers, see, that's what I want to do with you. I, I don't mind you. And, and, you know, God is not a man, but we, 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 our visualization of him is like a man. And God doesn't have a problem with us visualizing him as human. That's how we respond. God doesn't have a problem with you visualizing running your fingers through his hair as you talk to him say, hey, Dad, how are you doing today? When Riley crawls up my lap or, or Sophia or Adriana, and they sit in Papa's lap. They're either playing my ear or they're playing with my hair or, or they're doing something while they're sitting there. God said, you know what? I enjoy that. Don't make me so detached. And don't make me so holy. And that's what the Jews did. That human hands cannot touch their God. God made sure there was a blood barrier at a cross that would allow you to hold and touch him and feel him and stroke him and have allow him into your life and become part of your life. Before the cross, it couldn't happen. But since the cross, you can crawl up in Papa's lap and you can talk to Papa and you can tell Papa all you want to and you can talk to Papa about life. And 
So some of your view of God is he, he so starts. The, see, the Jews made him so holy that humans couldn't touch him. No. A child was born. He entered my world through a womb. Just a child. And he was touched and stroked and loved. And then he showed his world how to be a peacemaker. He showed his world how to be gentle. He confounded his world with his peace and his ability to change lives and make people feel so comfortable they just leave their past alone. And a woman at a well would feel so comfortable she'd leave her water pot in his presence and go back to town. And that stigma of her past, she didn't drag it home. She left it with him. I challenge all of you tonight. I hate New Year's resolutions. I think they're one of the dumbest things we do. Because they're not resolutions at all. They're lies we make up about what we're going to do that we never intend to do. Then we feel guilty all year because we don't do them. Which means we have to have all that guilt to make our lives feel better. We're about to end a year and start a new one. Let's turn over a new leaf. Let's decide that we're going to show our grandchildren how to play at God's house. We're, we're going we're to show our grandchildren things they taught us. When we come through the door, Papa, where are you? Papa, I just, I just come to talk to you today. I don't have nothing to ask. I just like the sound of your voice. I just like to be around you. I just enjoy your presence. God, I just show up here I, I'll, maybe all I need to do is just sit and feel you because that world out there don't know where a church is that feels you or knows who you really are. But I do. I do. What a privilege today to be in His presence. Stand with me today. I, I wonder tonight, is there anybody that... that you just might like to act like you enjoy being Would you like to let him know? You don't need me to ask you to help you do that. All you've got to do is simply decide that's what you choose to do. And you start worshiping him. And you start loving him. And you changed your world and the world of a lot of people around you. Because I'm convinced... It was those trip to an altar with my dad that caused me to take both of my children to an altar on a regular basis and hold them in my arms while I prayed. And, and now every opportunity I get to bring a grandchild to the altar, I'm going to pick one of them up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry them to an altar. And they're going to hear Papa pray to God and they're going to hear Papa speak in tongues and they're going to hear Papa and they're going to know what God is really all about because I want the next generation to know just how good He's been to me and what He's done in my life and all the great things He's allowed me to enjoy. Why don't you demonstrate that tonight? Worship Him for a moment. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus.